Alright, good morning everyone. Welcome back to Teen Contemplation in the real time. <laughs> so we are back on our current fall schedule after taking uh, October off for teaching a separate series on the side uh, that Adam and I were working on. So we're ha so happy to be back here with you uh, for a new exploration, getting into the uh, fall season. Uh, the time that we are doing this is also uh, Diwali. So this is a time for thinking on how we bring more light into our space, uh, the light that we are carrying with us from the year into the autumn and the winter ahead and depending on where you're at you know where you're living um, that may feel like it's already becoming a little bit of a task right the mornings are darker and days are getting shorter and so thinking on what we can bring into our tea space and into our practice that reminds us of this cycle right and the same thing with our teas so you may notice that there's a shift happening for you for things that uh, are calling to you in your practice. Maybe now would be a good time to consider a different tea to practice with, a different tea bowl. You know, so we are moving through our year and we are acknowledging the movement in the world around us. That's really what this, this season is about. And so as you start to gather anything that you need for your practice, once you find yourself um, set up, everything's in front of you let's go ahead and get settled in okay so wherever you're choosing to sit for today taking a moment to consciously adjust your posture even if it's just like a little shifting just it could be almost like a little ritual acknowledgement of okay this is this is the start i have arrived now in my space And in inviting the back, the spine, whole front of the body to rise, to be tall. And to see if we could do so from a point of view like the energy is we are drawing that up from the earth, from the base of the spine all the way up through the whole back and out the crown of the head. So we're not forcing ourselves into some sort of rigid plank form, but we are growing upward. See if that shifts anything for you when you think of it like growing upward from your seat. Invite a sense of softness into the front of the body, the throat, the chest, the abdomen. is if the whole heart center was like where the sun was shining from. And that this is what you project outward into the world. Invite the hands to soften. In whatever way that might look like for you. Maybe the palms faced up or face down, resting folded in the lap. In some sort of gesture that says the hands are at ease now, 
There's nothing to do for just a moment while we acknowledge our arrival in the space, our transition into a different form of being active. Actively doing less in the busy body and actively doing more in the subtle body. And just for a moment here, just observing the flow of your breath, your own in and out breath. Noticing the temperature of the inhale and the temperature of the exhale, just in the little area right around the nostrils. what it feels like to just simply breathe on this morning. Without feeling like we have to express that in any way, shape it, make the breath performative somehow. Nope, we're just noticing it. It is magical all on its own. ready we'll shift our attention opening it up slightly to include our tea friend that we are inviting into our space today so picking up whatever tea that you feel called to practice with on this particular autumn morning it may be one that you're drinking normally throughout the days now or something that you're just noticing on this particular morning if it's chilly enough you're going to try something a bit different. And whatever that tea is, taking a moment to acknowledge it with the fingertips. Acknowledge with the eyes. What do you see? What colors do you see? What shapes? Are all of the leaves tightly twisted or some kind of flattened or folded? Are they bald? Are any of them shiny or silky looking? Are they sort of almost dusty or charcoal-y looking? What do, your, what do your leaves look like today? And then bringing the tea to your nose. And just with your same pacing of breath, just lying in and out breath over the leaves and giving them a chance to warm up. And it may take a little bit, especially if it's chilly where you are. And just being patient, just breathing over your tea.
And as you do so, notice how the breath shapes and changes in the body and in the belly. Notice if any part of your breathing cycle, whether in timing or in physical location of the body, is able to soften at all or shift even just through holding tea and breathing it. Invite the eyelids to soften and the cheeks to soften. And then when you're ready, go ahead and serve yourself a little bit of tea into your bowl. Just whatever pinch feels good today, a little bit more, a little bit less, just kind of depending on your mood. And then make any movements that you need to get your hot water. Just moving slowly through your space, being relaxed. No rushing. Acknowledging that this is a practice that actually does require movement. And just noticing how that feels to think on that for a moment compared to Maybe some forms of practice that ask of us complete stillness. Tea actually asks us to move and to do so with greater awareness of the smoothness and fluidity and ease of our movements. It is specifically structured for us to feel more connected and at ease. Once you have your hot water, slowly adding them over your leaves. Watching if now getting into deep autumn, if the steam starts to change pattern. Maybe it's more billowy, more enduring, reaches higher. And once you've added water over your tea, it might feel comfortable to place the hands alongside the bowl, either directly touching it or just a little bit of space of air so we can warm all the yin spaces, all of the inside spaces of the hands. So your palms, your fingers, space between each finger. And you take it a moment to press each fingertip to the bowl. So press the thumbs and the first two fingers, the two middle fingers, two ring fingers, and the two pinkies. It's acknowledging the presence of your whole hands in the bowl that is between.
as you're watching the leaves just slowly softening. Changing shape. And themselves coming to a place of doing less. What do you see? What happens on the surface and what happens below the surface? Consider for a moment this little, also a bit of a paradox that we see in tea. This particular shaping and skill that is required to achieve this, this color, this form, this depth of flavor and aroma with any given tea. And in the end, we add water and it doesn't totally turn back to its original form, but it really unwinds a lot of what has been created in its dry form. It returns it somehow back to where it came from. If we pick up the tea bowl and we bring the tea to our nose, And what you smell here, this is the smell of the tea after it has left the garden and it has been transformed by the hands of the tea maker. This is what they smell at their tasting table when they are considering their craft for the day, the different batches that they made. They add hot water and they breathe the tea and this is that smell that they encounter. And this particular smell, it tells you something. It also tells them something. There's information in it. And some of that information doesn't have words. We breathe it in. It becomes part of the body. It just becomes part of the body wisdom of getting to know a particular tea. So notice what you feel in your body as you breathe in this tea. And if it feels comfortable to do so, if the temperature is okay, we could take a little small sip off the surface here. And when tea is being tasted by the tea maker, especially in very remote areas, deep in the mountains or jungles, this actually may be pretty close to how they're tasting it. Just a little pinch of leaves in a bowl, some hot water, and using a spoon, perhaps. 
Nothing elaborate or fancy. This is very simple and direct relationship. Notice how the first sip is both quiet as well as impactful. We notice its presence. Something shifts for us once we've had tea. And whenever you like, taking a second sip, whenever it feels like it's a good time to do so. So tea starts its journey from the plant. Consider what tea is. Tea is just simply leaves. And they're soft leaves too, this particular plant. They're soft and they're pliable. They feel a lot like your own skin. And so to achieve what you hold right now, whatever tea that you are enjoying today. There's a whole weaving of skill as well as deep listening to create this tea. Some describe this as a form of mastery. Although many who might be holders of that title wouldn't describe themselves in that way. You could also use the word discipline. That may not be the right word either. Because to have this kind of communication and relationship with a being like T can't take force. And it's not so much the tea maker's voice that's here as it is the tea itself. The tea maker is just the steward. But they are not the master over the plant. Consider what that feels like for you in your own body as you hold and you sip your tea. That you might know something as deeply as that and be as close to it and yet not use the term mastery to describe it. And maybe that it's not a, a strict discipline either. It's something else that still invites in an awareness of knowing very deeply. The tea maker knows their plants as well as they do their own children. What is the word for that?
And are there other areas in our life where we might feel something similar to what we are connected to that we could use a different word? And if certain words come to mind for you, notice not only the word itself, but how it feels in the body to consider it. And particularly if the tea that you're enjoying today is one that you are close to, it's one that you know well. Notice the distance, either they're really close together, they're very similar, or they're very far apart between the words that come to mind for you as you consider something other than discipline and mastery to the feeling that it is to hold this particular tea and enjoy it and listen to it and what that comes to mind in the body. And is there some way that we can make the distance between those things a little shorter? And in starting this exploration this month, that's okay if we don't have the word for it. Today, in our first session, maybe the first time we've ever asked that of ourselves in our whole lives, no matter what our professional background or our study or our own practice, but first notice the feeling. The feeling of extending the question. That something else is possible, and maybe the way that we had originally been trained, doesn't quite fit now. And as you're enjoying your bowl of tea, at any point, if you'd like to add more water, refresh the leaves, they always have something else to say and to share, please do so as a means of continuing your practice and creating a little bit more space to listen deeply to our tea.
That mantra comes to us from the Upanishads, this uh, incredible corpus of uh, spiritual texts um, from the Vedic tradition. This is foundational texts for what is now um, Hinduism and uh, also uh, for the, the stream of yoga traditions draw heavily from the Upanishads. And it is a, a chant in honor of study. <clears throat> Sahana Vavatu, may our study together be protected. Sahanao Bunaktu, may our study together be nourishing. Saha Viryam Karavavahai, may our study together um, be full of energy. Tejas vinavaditamas tu. May this uh, study space um, illuminate tejas, the flame of wisdom from within us. Mavid vishavahai. May it not produce uh, antagonism toward one another. And I wanted to start with that chant because it is uh, such a beautiful invocation to relationship in the process of study. It acknowledges the vulnerability involved in really sitting with a subject and intending to learn, which, by the way, is the etymological root of discipline. When we pull back from discipline, we get disciple. And disciple in its sort of pre-Christian context or pre-Christian resonance simply means uh, like student to study. And then at some point, maybe in the Middle Ages, the term takes on this punishment uh, connotation. Right? And so here we are in 2021 
with the resonance of uh, discipline as like obedience and, and as, you know, as Sue said, force. But uh, that's not the true discipline. And in my opinion, it's been really, really important over the course of my personal practice to develop a relationship with a discipline that feels supportive. So I feel that Sue's, as, as they do every week, uh, gave us this really nourishing container through the tea guidance for us to study what it is to study, <laughs> to be in relationship with a subject, and in, in this case, the subject being T, and that is subject with a capital S. So not subject as in theme, but subject as in uh, entity or being that we are in relationship with. And we might argue that discipline <clears throat> always involves relationship between two forms of life or multiple forms of life. And there is, there is no relationship within discipline that is a relationship with an inert or a dead thing, even if that which uh, you are cultivating discipline around is studying a, a topic, right? a topic like yoga. Yoga is not a, a bullet list. It's not a series of facts. It's a living and uh, dynamic presence with which we de develop relationship with. And, you know, as we keep sort of um, unpacking or whittling away at this, this idea of studying, I don't think that any true subject is contained only in the facts that we gather about it. I'm here in uh, the Upper Peninsula of Michigan this week. Very um, honored to be able to spend a little bit of time in, in this incredible um, natural environment. And uh, one of the things that I've learned is that there is a proposal to build a, like a rocket launch station right here. Um, the reasons for it, I don't know, satellites, Elon Musk, it's over my head. I don't know why. Um, <clears throat> but the, you know, the people that live here are um, protesting, much as the people that live where I live uh, were protesting the Bell Bowl Prairie's imminent destruction by uh, developers that wanted to kind of create uh, more airport infrastructure. And it's amazing to me that these stories are still <laughs> very much present in this time of imminent climate collapse. It's stunning.
to me that we can't seem to integrate um, how dire the importance of um, maintaining our, our surviving ecosystems are. It's just stunning. It's like uh, these, I would imagine these stories to, to be happening around like mid 20th century, like maybe in 1950. I remember finding uh, a book about the ocean from around that time. It was like a, a kid's book learning about the ocean. And it, the entire book was a narrative of, of extraction. Um, as though like the ocean is, is just this wonderful space for our plunder. And that was the only value really that was described in the book. The economic value of the fish that you could uh, pull out and so forth. And so I, I feel that we have come up, we have arisen in this culture that is based on disciplining the world, really, in the medieval sense of the term. Subjugation to uh, another being's will, essentially. And so one thing we definitely can do is practice the art of relationship within ourselves. when the voice of uh, discipline arrives in the medieval sense, right? When the forceful voice shows up, which, by the way, shows up for me every day. When that voice shows up, we can, uh, we can look at it. We can observe. That's really the primary, I would say, the most pragmatic reason we are sticking with these contemplative practices in this very difficult time so that we have the power to observe and then to make skillful decision. So when the force of, of will arrives in this um, kind of punishing sense, to remember as uh, the wonderful teacher Sean Fate Oaks put it, uh, I I was trained, I was trained to think this way. That that voice is not intrinsic, it is not our nature. But it is a little bit of conditioning, powerful conditioning. You know, and we could point to where that voice, you know, was developed, maybe in relationship to parents, or, you know, other um, influential voices of authority in our lives. But at this time, we know better. We know better, and yet the patterns, you know, persist, of course. So when those voices of uh, harsh criticism show up and we start to define discipline for ourselves as meeting X, Y, or Z metric, right? Oh, did I do this thing exactly as I intended? Um, am I making the linear progress that I have fantasized about? Uh, I was trained, 
to think this way. This is training. This is not essence. And so when we apply discipline in our own lives, we, we might think about it as being uh, a, a relationship that is based on, on love. It's really the only important form of relationship, I think. Because love is a way of animating awe. To love something is to acknowledge its vastness and the infinite complexity that comprises all living things, including ourselves. So, you know, if I'm, if I'm not hitting a particular metric that I've set up for, for myself, and, and trust me, I've got metrics too. <laughs> You know, instead of um, wilting in a, a pool of self-criticism, right? I do have another choice. Why is the student in this relationship, why is the student uh, choosing another route? Okay. Maybe this instruction isn't as useful as the teacher imagines. The great uh, pedagogical theorist Paolo Freire uh, wrote about the model of education as like a banking model in trying to understand and trying to articulate his, um, his critique of the way that we learn. You know, in a classroom, this idea that the teacher and the students are in a kind of transactional relationship where the teacher is just depositing information in these vessels. And for, for Paolo Freire and the many, many um, educators who have been influenced by, by his work, uh, that model is really a discipline relationship. It's a medieval discipline relationship. And what we want to do is return to the root of the word. Thanks so much for uh, joining us for Tea and Contemplation today. Let's see. Um, 
If you were curious about the Upanishads that I mentioned, that word is usually transliterated U-P-A-N-I-S-H-A-D. And uh, I know I mentioned Paolo Friere. Um, his last name is spelled F-R-I-E-R-E. And his uh, really influential book about learning is called Pedagogy of the Oppressed, which is such an amazing title. Uh, Suze? Also, I should share where you can find Adam. <laughs> Adam at uh, info at adamgrassi.com. Adam's last name is spelled G-R-O-S-S-I. You can also find him on Instagram by the same. And you can find me at suze at beingtea.com. I'm also on Instagram at beingtea. Uh, tea and Contemplation is offered as a live studio session every Friday morning at 8 a.m. Central Time. So what usually happens after this uh, recording that you listen here on the podcast is as a group, we talk about and share our experiences with this week's contemplation and with this month's theme. And it's a really wonderful space. So if you would like to join for a live session at Practicing Community, you're very welcome to. Uh, and the podcast, lastly, we should note, is supported uh, entirely by listeners and viewers like you. And so if you would like to learn more about contributing to the Teen Contemplation podcast space, you can visit our program page at buymeacoffee.com slash TNC podcast. We hope to see you soon.